Welcome to the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast for Thursday, September 22nd. Mark Schofield with you today. Chuck Zada is out. I think he's scouting kickers or something. He's always up to something. But we've got a great guest to make up for that. We've got Arif Hassan from Cold Omaha. We're going to get into that Vikings, that big win they had Sunday night over the Green Bay Packers there. I don't know if we want to call them a bitter rival, but, you know, they, they don't like them too much. But before we dive into that, I want to remind you that today's show is brought to you by Crossover Football. A powerful tool giving coaches the ability to break down game film to pull stats, create searchable clips, generate tendency reports, and much, much more from both desktop and mobile solutions. To try one game for free, sign up for our demo at crossover.com slash pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon for one free breakdown today. Now, Arif, we were just chatting before the show, 2-0, and but kind of unexpected, don't you think? Yeah, for sure. It's not as if, you know, Tennessee was uh, sort of the highest rated of opponents and it doesn't seem like the Packers and Aaron Rodgers in particular are where people expected them to be. But I still think that the odds, if you told, you know, people that, hey, uh, you know, the starting quarterbacks can go down a week before the season and also during the second game against the Packers, starting running back. Gonna go down. I think that the odds of pulling out two wins, uh, given that sort of information, pretty low. Yeah, I mean, it was a tough way, obviously, that Minnesota started the season, but you get that big win Sunday night. A lot of things we can talk about in that game, and I got to ask you off the top. You probably know the question that's coming. It's about Stephon Diggs, and that is, are they going to keep using him as an inbox blocker and seven and eight man offensive front? <laughs> I, yeah, I saw you chat uh, we, about we talked that. a little bit about that on Twitter. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, he, they did that. I think twice actually uh, at Tennessee, and then you noted also once against Green Bay. Not really sure what the idea is. I feel like the only way that you add another blocker to the box because you're always going to pull in a defender is if you think that that blocker has a good chance of winning their right. block. I just, that doesn't seem like a very difficult or weird heuristic. So I'm. Really, like I have no idea what the idea is. Yeah, I, I don't know what the idea is either. But when you talk Stephon Diggs, though, you have to talk about the game that he had Sunday against Green Bay. You know, 182 yards, ran some great routes. I mean, is the excitement as big as it is in that area as it is nationally right now about Stephon Diggs? People seem to be thinking he's the next big thing as far as receivers go. It's kind of hard to. Uh it's kind of hard to think it's anything but, you know, the next big receiver. He's had two big games in a row, like you said. I nearly set a Vikings receiving regular season record. He was 27 yards away from that, which he's averaging 20 yards of reception. Might have only taken one more. Uh, and, uh, and and what's great about Diggs is that he, he shows, like, a very, like, wide range of, of skills. Like, he's not just sort of a quick underneath guy, and he's not just sort of a deep threat guy like Deshaun Jackson, although I think that part of game, uh, that part of Diggs' game is a little bit underrated. Uh, you know, he showcases a pretty excellent catch radius. He showcases the ability to sort of fight through contested catches and come down with the ball. I'm sure at some point in the near future, it's going gonna, it's gonna to hurt him a little bit more than it's going to help him, at least on one or two catches. But, you know, so far he's won all of his contested catches, it seems like. Uh, and so uh, he can be useful in any number of situations, which obviously, especially for where the Vikings are now, is extraordinarily helpful. And you could see him being, uh, you know, a top 10 receiver this year. Yeah, and to that point, you probably saw Matt Harmon put out those next-gen stats with Diggs' route charts from the first two weeks. And in week one against Tennessee, a lot of routes towards the sideline. But as you said, in week two, a lot of in-breaking routes, a lot of posts and things like that. So he really is a very versatile receiver, and that's got to be huge for this offense going forward. 
Yeah, especially because, you know, you don't really have a lot of confidence, uh, you know, in the rest of the receiving core. And obviously, you've got first-round pick Laquan Treadwell, but he's only seen two snaps over the course of two games. Both of them seem to be run-blocking snaps. So, uh, aside from that, you've got Charles Johnson, who's been fairly disappointing, I think. Um, well, not, you know, I guess that depends kind of on what your expectations were going in, but he's a starter. Uh, and Adam Thielen, who is functional, maybe even as good as a, you know, a wide receiver two in the NFL should be, but certainly doesn't seem to inspire the kind of confidence that's defined. Diggs does and you know I wouldn't be surprised if the Vikings really want to get Treadwell up and going you know before that goes because otherwise you rely on Cordell Patterson or a receiver who they have had as a healthy scratch for the last two games Jerry's right so not a ton of confidence outside that first receiver uh, and so if your first receiver Stephon Diggs can do everything that really sort of lifts the burden because there's a lot of really good wide receiver ones who are really good at what they do uh, but can't do everything and so now Diggs has like an answer to every situation and that's you know pretty nice something I think builds into that point you're making about some of the coaching staff and their uncertainty and the receivers after digs is the number of three tight end sets I've seen Minnesota use. It seems like they did that a lot week one against Tennessee. They used it a lot again Sunday night against Green Bay. You know, they got Allison and Morgan who seem to be more blocking tight ends, but then Rudolph as well. Have you also noticed this three tight end set? And do you think that's going to be part of that game plan going forward, given the issues at, run, at receiver and now running back? Yeah, no, uh, this uh, the three tight end set's pretty big. I was actually just, uh, you know, right before you called, I was charting uh, all of Adrian Peterson's runs to see sort of how many blockers they had in the box versus defenders in the box. And on average, you know, they've had, uh, you know, 7.4 blockers in the box. They've always had, uh, you know, almost always had two tight ends. Uh, they very rarely only had one tight end in there. Uh, and then sort of his last six or seven runs, they always had, uh, you know, three blockers in the box. It's either a fullback or another tight end. Uh, they really like adding blockers to the box to the point where I'm actually fairly annoyed with it. I think that the Vikings could do more <laughs> spreading the ball out. Uh, I think that with Adrian Peterson gone, you know, for the next week, the next two weeks, the next three weeks, or limited, I mean, he could be playing through that meniscus kind of like Chris Johnson did. Uh, I think that the Vikings will want to spread the ball out a little bit more. And, you know, that doesn't necessarily mean getting rid of tight ends on the field, but I think um, they, they would just probably just feel more comfortable having more pass catchers out there, especially, you know, I don't know that McKinnon necessarily needs to have power blocking in front of him. I think that, you know, both McKinnon and Asiata have done pretty well with, with fewer, uh, you know, blockers and defenders in the box. So I, I would expect to see fewer tight, uh, three tight end sets, but, you know, definitely that was a huge trend that they had. You mentioned Treadwell. He didn't get any snaps week one against Tennessee. Only saw two snaps against Green Bay. Is there concern in Minnesota about how he's coming along here? Do you think that given the sort of game plans to date, they're just bringing him along slowly and they're going to slowly work him in more and more and more to the offense? As far as I can tell, nobody... In the on the Minnesota Vikings staff is concerned, so that's you know a pretty good deal. Although you know maybe that just doesn't leak out. Uh, you know for the most part it, it seems like they just they just take things slow. And Treadwell is incredibly young. I think you know he was like twenty at the day of the draft. I think he's twenty one now. So just incredibly young. So he's got a lot of time ahead of him. Uh, this is kind of a new situation for him. I think he was a starter as a freshman in high school, uh, and has like started every year since. So. Uh, you know, this is kind of an adjustment for him, maybe more than the Vikings. But I mean, they're known to bring rookies along slowly. There are instances like where, you know, Anthony Barr started week one, but Stephon Diggs didn't start until week five. You know, Eric Hendricks didn't start until I think about week five. Uh, and they, I mean, they just tend to, to, to bring rookies along a little bit slower. So it's not really a concern, but you can't help but feel impatient as a Vikings fan. I think that if the second receiver issue i don't even know if i want to call it an issue but the confidence that you have in the second receiver if that wasn't so shaky 
you know, then maybe, you know, the people wouldn't be as impatient, but they're, they're getting a little bit impatient. I mean, they had to wait a year for Trey Waynes and, you know, maybe that didn't turn out based off of, you know, last week or, you know, whatever, but, but, uh, they just want to see if, you know, if Treadwell can compete now, especially because he brings one element that maybe Diggs can't, which is, you know, as a red zone threat. So some impatience, I think among the fans, I don't know if there's any alarm bells ringing, uh, at winter park though. We had you on in the summer to sort of, preview the Vikings season going forward and obviously one of the areas you talked about was kind of an area of concern was the offensive line and if you get two wins under the belt any st- concerns still there or do you think they've started to sort these issues out no I don't think they've they've sorted anything out along the offensive line <laughs> there you go quick and short answer I love it man yeah, well, it's, so I mean, the first week, a lot of people were like, oh, the offensive line is, you know, pass protecting better. You know, Hill didn't take any sacks. That's great. And, you know, if, oh, if only we were able to get an accurate picture of offensive line play just from, you know, sacks, that would, that would just make everything a lot easier. But we, we can't. And the amount of times offensive linemen are beat is different than the amount of times that quarterbacks are pressured, which is different than the amount of times that they're sacked. Uh, in, in week one, the Vikings protected Hill a lot with a bunch of really quick routes, three-step drops and stuff like that, uh, keeping him in shotgun and, and making sure that if an offensive lineman was beat right away, there was a good chance it wouldn't turn into a sack. Uh, week two, they you know with Sam Bradford, they were a little bit more comfortable with five and seven-step drops. We saw a couple more sacks. We saw a lot more pressure. Uh, and a couple more sacks is, I guess, underselling it. Four sacks. It's it's not a small amount. Right. Uh, and so, uh, you know, seeing Brandon Fusco struggle like that, seeing Matt Khalil struggle like that, and Khalil actually didn't have too bad of a game week one. Uh, not not good by any means, but definitely not as bad as, as last year. Uh, Andre Smith had a bad game two games in a row. Fusco's had a bad game. Boone's had a bad game two games in a row. Uh, you know, Berger seems to, or yeah, Berger seems to be the only one that has it together and he's the guy that you know wasn't even supposed to start two years ago so you're kind of like in a weird spot we're chatting with Arif Hassan from cold Omaha about the Minnesota Vikings we're going to move to the defensive side of the ball but before we do I want to remind our listeners that crossover football can help coaches win more games and make smarter use of the film room with their teams crossover breaks down and stats out your game film giving you searchable clips advanced ODK tendency reports, and a wealth of other great information that you can access from any PC or mobile device. Your team's formations and personnel packages can be labeled with your own terminology. You can create custom highlight reels for your players, and you can exchange video with anyone on any platform, and that includes all of your players and coaches. To try one game for free, sign up for a demo at crossover.com pylon. That's crossover with a K dot com slash pylon to get one breakdown for free today. Now, Arif, game against Green Bay, give up 14 points. It looks on paper to be a pretty good defensive effort. But when you dive into the tape, was this more Minnesota's defense stepping up to the plate and doing the job? Or do you think this was more Green Bay's offense and their struggles? I think it's a little bit of both. And, you know, I, I wish I could just say, no, it's the greatest defense right. that history has ever seen. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> but no, I, th- I think it's a little bit of both. I think that if you take a look at sort of the defensive line play in particular, I think you can appreciate, you know, a lot of the things that Linval Joseph did. I think that you, you an average nose tackle doesn't do what he does against a really bad offensive line. I think that it takes like a really high-level talent for Linval Joseph to do what he did uh, on, uh, on on Sunday night. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, you take a look at, you know, rotational pass rushers like Tom Johnson has been performing like this every year. Daniel Hunter has been performing like this uh, for a little bit now. And even Brian Robinson, who has had, you know, some issues turning pressures into sacks. Uh, and you can see, I think that the defensive line, you know, acquitted themselves well without having to take into account, you know, the Green Bay offensive line, which is typically 
you know, pretty good. I mean, sometimes they get a lot of flack because Aaron Rodgers takes a lot of sacks, but I think genuinely speaking, for the most part, they're a pretty good pass protecting unit. Beyond that, you take a look at Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks and, uh, you know, they, they displayed athleticism, they displayed discipline and stuff like that. And I don't really think that there were mistakes along the Green Bay offense that really boosted the efforts of, uh, of, you know, Anthony Barr and Eric Hendricks. And if you take a look at the secondary, I think there's a there's a case of like both. You know, I think that we can all kind of agree that, you know, Trey Wayne play, play poorly, but you can also agree that, you know, Jordy Nelson, Devontae Adams, they don't look particularly good. Randall Cobb, you know, he didn't have that many moments. Captain Munderland played pretty well, but I think Terrence Newman got kind of lucky a couple of times, kind of unlucky a couple of other times. And, you know, Andrew Sandejo was, was a bit of a mess. And so, the, you know, the, the Packers, when they could, found ways to take advantage of it. But I think that that is a situation more where, the breakdowns offensively are more on the Packers than they were, you know, on the Vikings defense. Whereas up front, I think it's more about the Vikings defense. Let's talk about Trey Waynes. You mentioned him a little bit earlier in the show. Minnesota fans had to wait a while for him to get on the field. And the book on him coming out of college was tends to get a little bit grabby. We saw a lot of that Sunday night. Is this going to be an issue for him going forward? Do you think he's ever going to get that sorted out? Uh, yeah, I, I think it is going to be an issue. Um, you know, it was actually one of the reasons I didn't like it when they originally right, picked him at number 11. Yeah. yeah. Um, not, not that I want to like toot my own horn if he like fails or no, anything. Take it feels victory kind of... lap. That's what, do. <laughs> That's what this is all own about. Them. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, uh, he, he's known not only just for, for being grabby in college, and I thought, you know, it was a really underrated aspect, because a lot of people are like, well, Reef, every corner is grabby in college, and to some extent that's true, because you get away, you know, with a little more in college than you do in the NFL, but I think that after taking that into account, you know, Waynes was you know, one of the grabbiest corners I'd, I'd seen in a long time. Luckily, one of the other ones was Xavier Rhodes, who it turned out to be fine. Um, but yeah, I think that this is probably going to be an issue going forward, especially because he has a lot of issues that I think some other grabby corners, Xavier Rhodes, for example, didn't really have. And I think that the problem with, with Waynes at Michigan state is that he's very often grabby because he was about to get beat, especially, you know, to the inside. Cause he's a very stiff corner. Whereas Xavier Rhodes, when he was grabby, he was just, and, and this sounds so cliche, but he was just being grabby because he was like competitive and not because he was trying to make up for a deficiency or because he was beat, you know, if that kind of makes sense. And I think that that's kind of the problem that Wayne's had, you know, in this game, you know, and I think a lot of Vikings fans thought, you know, the calls against him were, were BS. And I don't know if I agree with that. I thought they were the kind of calls that you'll see in the NFL, um, not the kind of football you want to see in the NFL, but the kind of calls that you'll see in the NFL. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that this is probably going to be an issue going forward. Uh, he played well at the end of the, uh, at the at the final stretch of the the season last year, and that really hasn't carried over into this year yet. And we're kind of hoping that if he ever switches back to sort of, if you want to call it his native side on the left side, because you know all of last year and all off season he's been playing on the left side, and and here he's playing on the right side because of Xavier Rhodes. Maybe we'll see some of those issues go away because switching your footwork is actually not that easy, and it's one of the reasons that a lot of coaches like Richard, uh, like you know Pete Carroll and. Um, you know, Jay Gruden, whoever's running the defensive uh, stuff over in Washington, want your corners to stay on one side. It's the reason that Josh and Richard Sherman are so good. Uh, you know, it's the same thing with Mike Zimmer and, and Xavier Rhodes and, and Trey Waynes is that you don't want to script the footwork. So I think that if there's a situation where Trey Waynes can go back to the other side, um, you know, maybe that might resolve some of these concerns. Uh, but for now, you know, especially if, if Xavier Rhodes continues to be out, you know, that's that's something to watch going forward. Uh, safety play is something that I wanted to ask you about. Obviously, you know, had the big deal signed in the offseason. Um, didn't look like Green Bay really tested that secondary vertically too much or over the middle of the field too much. Is that because the safeties for the Minnesota Vikings are pretty good or is just, again, Green Bay's route concepts weren't what they could have been? 
Well, so Green Bay has been running an offense over the last, uh, you know, two weeks as well as the end of the last year that's been very conservative. They've been running a lot of short routes. Jordy Nelson didn't catch a pass uh, against um, against the first but against Jacksonville, like beyond three yards down the line of scrimmage. Uh, and I think that the offense is overly conservative, which is really weird when you think about like Green Bay and Aaron Rodgers and like the stuff that he can do. Uh, and so I think that offensively it's poorly designed for Rodgers, but it might be well designed for its receiver personnel uh and that's that's a huge mismatch going forward that they're going to have to find some way to resolve either you know radically change the core philosophy of the offense or or let aaron Rodgers just do stuff because i mean their offense mostly consists of aaron Rodgers' miracle plays you know at this point and so uh you know offensively they have to figure something out that's not as conservative i don't think that the defense had to do that much scouting of green bay in terms of like ways to shut them down because i think that what green bay was doing was you know, relatively pretty basic, which is kind of disappointing as a football fan, but pretty exciting as a Vikings fan. Now, Sunday, big game at one o'clock on Sunday, at least one Eastern time, and that's Minnesota Vikings making the trip east to take on the defending NFC champion Carolina Panthers. Any expectations for that game as we sit here now on uh, Wednesday night? Um, you know, it's going to be it's going to be interesting because the Vikings are going to have to figure out how to shut down an underrated offense. They led the league in points last year and they were uh, I think they led the league in points per drive, too. Uh, and uh, I think that's going to define things. I think that the Vikings can gain more marginal value if their defense does well against that offense uh, than sort of the other side of the coin, because I think that the Carolina defense is just going to do stuff and like the Vikings right. are just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah Luke and so if to do stuff and he's pretty good at it. Yeah, he's, he's pretty good at the stuff. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the Vikings are just going to have to deal with it offensively and make sure they don't make any, too many mistakes offensively, find ways to put points on the board and win the field position game. I think the other side of the coin is is what's really going to define things because I think there's a lot more potential variance there. I think that Carolina just by nature tends to have, because they're a deep passing offense, because they love to have contested catch receivers like Funchess and Benjamin and even Olsen do stuff. Um, there's there's that stuff, stuff again. They do good stuff. Yeah. They do good stuff. Uh, they, tend, they tend to be a you know, much higher variance offense. And so it gives them a lot of opportunities to make explosive plays against good defenses, but also a lot of opportunities for good defenses to take advantage of them, especially because I don't really know what the injury situation is with the running backs. Um, but if it's pretty bad, you know, that's a pretty potent part of the, the Carolina attack, which means that they're going to have to go through the air some more. Again, more high variance stuff. And that'll allow uh, you know the Vikings to maybe take advantage of it, maybe create turnovers and stuff like that. And so I think that that is kind of where the game will be decided because I don't really expect the vikings offense to create that much movement you know unfortunately uh against a, a pretty solid carolina defense that you know maybe maybe they're missing i think they're clearly missing josh norman but i think yeah. that they at the core are still a very good defense that they are well Arif, fantastic stuff as always folks if you haven't been following Arif's work please check it out he writes a cold omaha as well as espn 1500 you can find his work over there and of course if you aren't following him you're doing tri- twitter wrong follow him at Arif arif hassan nfl uh Arif, thanks so much for coming on man always love it yeah, I love being on. Thanks, dude. Well, thanks so much. And listeners, that will do it for this edition of the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. Since tomorrow is Friday, it is Kicker Friday, which means Chuck will be back giving you some fancy stats on kicking and stuff like that. Frankly, it's over my head. And I usually don't listen, but I play along. Thanks again for listening. We'll be back tomorrow for Kicker Friday on the Inside the Pylon Quick Kicks podcast. 